Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderblue, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, apparently we still can't have good things. Sporting Kansas City capped off what was a fairly decent run of league results with a somewhat disinterested performance in St. Louis on Saturday night. It wasn't nearly as bad as the 4-0 result might make you believe, but it also wasn't really good. Is Sporting Kansas City soft? One of the items we have danced around for the past couple years is a lack of a trendsetter in the midfield. Honestly, that was coded language for the fact that this team doesn't possess the type of physical control that is honestly necessary in MLS. It's been a problem for some time, and we can't keep relying on just one or two players to bring it. We're going to spend some time talking about goalkeeping this week. I alluded to it last week's pod, during last week's podcast, and given Timelia's diagnosis of a three- to four-month absence, it seems significant that we discuss both the importance of above average performances from that position for this team to get positive results as well as what our options are there for the remainder of this year finally we prepare for portland to visit children's mercy park this weekend this is an opponent that seems to bring out very jekyll and hyde performances from sporting kansas city and that is somewhat due to their style of play and somewhat due to their own consist inconsistency and quality cody i uh, i went to the casey current match on saturday somewhat to distract myself from some of the emotions surrounding this initial match between KC and St. Louis. I refuse to call them St. Louis City. It's the dumbest name on earth. And thus missed the first half of the match and therefore was resigned to having to watch it after I knew the result. The one thing that I came away from watching it was this. Everyone around this match seemed to know that this was a rivalry game except the Sporting Kansas City players. Yeah, uh, I had literally the same exact thought uh, today. I was thinking about it when I was driving home from work, and 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 it was you basically just took the words that were in my mind, and and it's uh, it's pretty disappointing, honestly, because um, you know I, I I I've heard a lot of people sort of in the media and on on Twitter, you know, saying that um, you know they they were maybe unaware of the. Uh, um, of how much of a rivalry there already was between uh, Kansas City and St. Louis, and like like that has not been my experience at all. And you know, I think part of it is because um, it's because I've lived here in the area for you know some years. Uh, but also, I mean, I I live in Missouri and uh, I work in Kansas, and um, my you know the the involvement of my kids in in youth sports, especially on the Missouri side. Um, you know, there's a there's a big inferiority complex, you know, in in youth soccer um, from uh, from Kansas City, Missouri to to uh, to St. Louis because St. Louis is I mean they've been doing it a long time. They're really good and and they always they always field really amazing teams and and um, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of support um, and those are things that that traditionally maybe have not been present on the Kansas City side. And so um, I'm I'm just you know, well acquainted with um, with how um, how invested um, teams uh, from Kansas City, Missouri, are in beating <laughs> uh, teams from St. Louis, and I was pumped and I was surprised, honestly, by how um, how excited I was for the rivalry component of this game. Uh, and man, it was such a letdown. Uh, that first half was just. Um, 
it was just really really bad <laughs> that's the that's just the only i mean it, it was it was um it was uninspired and um as as you mentioned uh it was soft that's been a a complaint that I've had about the the team and especially the midfield for for some time and uh that was on full display on uh Saturday yeah i I, Roger, Roger made some comments in the press, I think just prior to the game, or I think it was just prior to the game. They maybe his press availability either in St. Louis when they got there or, well, they flew straight to St. Louis from LA. So I'm sure at some point the media availability for this game was in St. Louis. And he was quoted as saying, well, it'll probably become a rivalry someday. We'll have to see. He's lived here long enough. He He should know better than that. I was shocked by the quote, to be completely honest. It just shows like a complete, and in fairness, these guys aren't from here, but Raj sure. has lived here for a long time. Yeah, he, a long like time. Graham Zussi, Graham Zussi's been here for since 2009. Yeah. Like, is he complete? like, uh, these players have been, I mean, I know that if Beasler was still the captain of this team, there would have been some comments about it, and he would have been a little bit, he would have been pretty fired up about it. Johnny Russell has had made some comments about it too, but... Johnny comes from Glasgow, where right. the old firm Derby has been happening for over a hundred years. So I, I think that there's there's a difference in perspective, and I think that's fair that there's a difference in perspective. But also, it's not a great look for the fans of this team who went out in droves and you know rode the train over there and were, you know extremely excited to be on a roadrun against a rival team. And then watch that performance that, I mean, I appreciate the players and Vermees and whatnot meeting them at the train station when they got off the train, but the team came out flat and I I get all the excuses in the world about the schedule and it, the schedule is not kind to sporting. I mean, they played, they, they played in LA midweek and then had to fly to St. Louis and play again, but these are professional fucking soccer players. Okay. If you can't get up for this match and at least show a high level of effort if if they were fucking stuff up i could get that i mean okay fine your touch isn't quite right or you know you're just not quite crisp because you're tired okay but the effort level was significantly lower than st louis's and that's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to square and it's something we've seen a more more often than not in the last couple years and that's just sort of antithetical to what a vermis coach team would normally be and i think that's something you and i've been struggling with for a while so um (laughs) a couple of things first the the social media team uh for the for the club they they knew it was a rivalry and they you know they wrote some checks uh on twitter that that the uh that the team wasn't able to cash right i mean they didn't their team didn't back them up and uh and it makes it makes um, the club look kind of silly. That's okay. I mean, I, you know, to an extent that that just enhances the rivalry and um, and those things happen. It's okay. Um, but you know, the the this the the softness aspect. Um, you know, I I think I might. I have I have this sort of idea for that's been forming in my mind for a while that that um, you. Know, Sporting hasn't been the team that just goes and presses and kicks you in the shin for a really long time. I mean that 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 is a trope that's from the you know early uh, 2010s and um, and it it 
hasn't really been the case for uh, for many years. Um, the However, the, the, the sporting always um, was really tough to play against, especially through the mid, middle of the field. And, um, and I, I, I've kind of hinted at this before, but I really think it's primarily due to one guy. I mean, really, it's primarily well, is it, it's primarily that a problem, due. Though? That is a huge isn't... problem because it, it was primarily due to vintage Roger Espinosa, who was an absolute yeah. animal and ran everywhere, and and he was just uh, he so... was a special player, and and they have have not been able. It's like it's like Vermes doesn't realize that that was the key to to the the having a a, a midfield, uh, you know, with a little bit of 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 bite and a little bit of of physicality uh it's like vermes doesn't realize that that how important that one player was to that because because there's nobody there's nobody on the team who comes even close to that at this point much less in the midfield where it's most important yeah i think courtney ford is the only one on the roster that does and he's you know out for the season um we'll get to the softness later that's gonna be the potpourri topic so i don't want to spend any much more time on on the the physicality of the team my main issue was not just what i was trying to get to here is that they just got outworked it wasn't just getting into duels and tackles and and the physical nature of it and their number six was extremely physical for st louis blom was was there had a lot of bite to him and got away with a lot of it and who knows if sporting would get away with some of the call, some of the things that Blom did, but um, it was very Diego Chara esque in his in his performance. But it was solid and it set a tone for how they were going to play. And Sporting just sort of wilted from it, and they didn't really have many many answers for it. Um, I will say, the schedule is one thing, but you know what schedule you're playing. Yep, you have to at that at that point then know when you're going to go against a rested St. Louis team in their park in a rivalry match that you need to have the right players ready for that match. Yeah. And so I'm really actually frustrated more with the personnel management of this. I'm, I will be the first person to tell you, and we'll get to it here in a second, the, the whole LAFC performance that LAFC sporting Kansas city match is some of the funnest soccer I've watched this team play yeah. in about two years. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yep. It was a one, one draw. But it, other, I mean, the first ten minutes were rough. I thought we were going to get boat raced. But after that, they settled into the game and they played really well. And it was extremely entertaining soccer. It was like on the level of the Brighton Manchester City match that I saw earlier today. That was also unbelievably good. It was very back and forth. There was no one really making a super large imprint on the match. But both teams had a really good idea and identity and a thing that they were trying to accomplish. And you saw them really going at each other with both of those things. So we know this team can play soccer like that. I'm not sure the personnel choices for that match were necessary for that match. And it left people worn out for the St. Louis match where they would have been much more adept to be used at that time. Like Jake Davis not being available to start against St. Louis was a problem. Logan and Denbe not being available to start against St. Louis was a problem. That was that really put the back line of sporting under pressure a lot more than they needed to be. Um, and Rodoya, I, I think most of his issues are fatigue related and he's not really fit enough to be doing 90 every every other day, every third day right now because he's barely coming back from injury. 
but there was just a lot of things about how these minutes were managed that left sporting in a situation where they were almost inevitably going to look like this against St. Louis. So my suspicion is that uh, that that was that that was done on purpose uh, be, because I think that uh, I think that Vermes wanted to Vermes is always going to sort of start to sort of sit in a in a in that soft mid block um, and and um, and try and manage the game um, and then in in build out you know focus on possession and uh, and and b- possessing and building out um, against. Um, St. Louis's high press, and and I think that the that the the idea was that you know you could put in uh, Libel and Zusi who are you know who are veteran players who are technical players uh, who are theoretically uh, better at at passing out of a press, um, and 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 so I think the idea was to put those players in there and to and to try and control and manage the game uh, that way, and they just got ran over, frankly, um, um, especially Zusi. Zusi had a had really just a terrible game and uh, and and was uh, physically dominated dominated and didn't make up for it on the attacking end at all and and um, in, in in retrospect uh, it was definitely a bad move um, I think that uh, I think that it would have been better to um, to rest some legs of, of um, well Remy Voltaire specifically and um, which 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 you know cent- central midfield is actually at this point it's uh, it's a deep position on the squad you have you know Hernandez you have um, um, Eric Tommy you have uh, you have Cam Duke yeah. um, you, and and, well, and even if and even if Duke's on the outs right now you have Hernandez Tommy Kinda Voltaire Rodoya. yeah I mean you that's, have all that's five a lot of, of people. those guys yep there's no reason that you couldn't have set up a rotation plan for them yep. where Hernandez played enough against LA similar I, I love what you're saying about Voltaire I would have loved Voltaire to come off the bench against LA and start at the sixth for this match because Rodoya, for all of his yeah. positive traits, doesn't have the mobility necessary to deal with the amount of movement that in that um that St. Louis had. And I think that Voltaire's um his his I don't know what the he he runs a lot, let's just be yeah. honest, right? Like Voltaire is very active. He would have dealt with Indiana Vasilev, I think, a lot better than Radia did, and I think that this, so there. And a lot of this is Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I understand all of that, yep. right? Yep. Um, so I'm not saying that there's any way that Vermes could have predicted this, but it doesn't seem like that far fetched to see it coming. Like we know, you yeah. know how St. Louis is going to play, and I think to to my eyes, it's more along the lines of what you were saying earlier that Vermes is always going to play his starters until he can't. Yeah. Yeah. He's always forced into a change, and, isn't he? It, it seems. Yeah. I, I he's, think he's, also. He's, he's forced to change because of fitness, not right. because of tactics. I that's think. A, that's, and that's a problem. Like, I, I, I think that, um, I think that Polito, um, should have probably, um, you know, gotten gotten subbed out at, at one point or another, or maybe subbed in in the St. Louis game. Um, he was definitely, um, he's definitely just still not there. His touch is just terrible, and um, and I think that um, St. Louis uh, really, um, they really uh, um, 
took advantage of that. They were um, really, really aggressive in hunting down second balls. And our forward line provided them with a lot of second balls. And that's, um, you know, that's just a, a, a loose first touch that that is mostly based on form and fitness. And um, and I think that if you, you know, if you start maybe different players, um, give those guys, maybe have, have them, uh, at least one of them coming off the bench, I think that changes things. I mean, there's no reason there's no reason why you couldn't have thrown Eric Tommy in to play his sort of forward false nine, whatever you want to call that. Just let him do that. If you're not comfortable with a FRIFA, uh, let Tommy do that and and um, and let him, you know, run around and and press uh, and out of the mid block. And uh, I think that 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 could have been a, a successful uh, solution uh, because, you know, what what we saw was was uh, a lot of players who who looked um I mean, I mean, they, they looked exhausted, like it, like they were, you know, in Houston in in, in August. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they they did not look, um, they did not look into it at all, and it was just, um, it was just really frustrating, and and specifically in the in the first half. I mean, they they kind of you know got with it a little bit in the second half, um, but well, by then they it was, didn't it get was... with it as much. They didn't get with it as much as what happens to high pressing team happens to St. Louis. Right. They can't okay. Press like that for yeah. 90 minutes. So I all think that's of a sudden accurate. the pace the pace comes to them yeah but you have to know that first half hour is yeah. going to be insane especially you there need to be prepared for it <laughs> like the the yeah i mean all the lights and all the all yeah. the um, atmosphere and everything and i'll give st louis all the credit in the world their atmosphere yep. is nuts it's amazing like i love seeing it as an mls soccer fan i love seeing that kind of stuff they have great atmosphere they have great fans i will wholeheartedly give them all of that you have to know what you're getting into it just seemed like they were surprised by all of it so so going back to you know my suspicion that um that Peter Vermes, his whole plan uh, to to compensate for the the environment was to take the air out of the game and to uh, and to and to pass out of the press and 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 rely on possession to kind of settle things down. You know, it, and I and I tweeted this. It, it really reminded me of that that. Um, uh, Mike Tyson quote, you know, everybody has a plan until you punch him in the face. And, um, and I think that sporting maybe had a plan and then they, they got punched in the face, you know, a couple of times and, um, and they, they did not respond well. And, and the, the, the really, the really aggravating thing, um, is that, is that once again, we're talking about, uh, the failure of a team to respond or to, uh, or to adapt on the field, um, when that when the team is dominated by veteran players, uh, these are players who have played uh, a long time um, professionally, and many of them have played uh, uh, many years under Peter Vermes. There's just like there's just no excuse for 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 going out there and sleepwalking through any half of football, much less the first half you're ever playing against your cross state rival. Well, that, that's, again, I think that's the point, is because they're veterans and they've played in Spain and Germany and all these other places, they don't recognize this match at the value level that literally everyone else did. The, sport, the, the fans on both sides of the fence obviously did. The St. Louis players knew it. They yeah. had all the comments after the game. They like they knew it. They knew yep. that their fans were fired up for this. They knew about all the talk between Kansas City and St. Louis and all of the tr you know 
internet trolling and everything that happened, but they, they were aware of all of it. And our team seemed to be just sort of dismissing it. And that's on the and coach. They, and, and, but, and then they came out and looked like it. They looked yep. like they didn't care about it. Yep. Um, and that's, that's a frustrating thing. I mean, we've got until September to deal with it again, but it's, it's concerning that, that, that you're not, you're not looking at a match in a different way. I mean, I, this is, I will say this, this is very much a Vermes kind of thing, though. Every game's important. The next game is always the ne- most important game. None of them really stand out more than any other, other, other one does. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's very Bill Belichickian about it. And so as a result, you, you, after, you know, five games and 14 days, you end up with that. Um, it's kind of frustrating, but I mean, I don't know. There are, <laughs> we're going to be dealing with this uh, kind of thing for a little bit, I think. So, so and, to, um, and to compound the frustration, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the social media uh, for the club, you know, started making um, um, excuses about the scheduling. Uh, and even Vermes mentioned the scheduling. And, and it's just like, no, yeah, you can't you can't hide behind that, right? You can't hide behind that. You can't hide behind p- poor refereeing. Like re- you take all of those things, you know, if you if you just look at what was happening on the field, um the the team the, the players were getting dominated. They weren't into it. And um and that, you know, that's that's um aside from you know, being tired, and that's aside from having poor refereeing. Um, at the bare minimum, you got to go out and fight. You know, especially after that listen, first goal, Man- you got to fight. Listen, Manchester City started basically the same lineup for three games in a row in seven yeah. days, and one of them was against Real Madrid, where they had to defeat them to move on in Champions League, and they put in high-quality performances in all three matches. I'm not trying to compare Sporting Kansas City to Real, to, to Manchester City, but I'm telling you that this is what soccer is. Playing yeah. midweek games on the road is what yep. happens. Yep. Um, and you have to have a plan, you have to have a recovery idea in mind, and you have to have a philosophy for how you're going to utilize your best players to get through those matches successfully. And candidly, Sporting Kansas City just failed in this match against St. Louis to do that. Um, Polito was a bit anonymous. I, the thing that um, was, I don't know, frustrating to me, I guess, about that was that, I mean, it was Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett that were, you know, locking him up. I mean, Tim Parker is a very well-known aerial duel winner, so I'm not. I guess I'm not totally surprised by that, but... Um, for all of the continued issues that Sporting seems to have with their center backs, watching Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett shut us down, it's kind of frustrating. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's. I mean, and, and you it's... and you watch and and Fontes had a terrible game. Uh, I mean, and he and Rosero has his possession issues. We've, we're seeing them fairly regularly now. Um, Rosero does have a lot of positive traits, but passing out of a press is not one of them. Um, 
and no, I mean just... he he just chooses the wrong passes so often, right? Yeah. I mean it's yeah. just like, dude, you don't need you're not Xavi, man. Just just pass it to the open dude, you know. And he didn't. He passed it. You know the first the first goal comes from him passing it. Yeah. And it's and like, come on, dude, you you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Now you know Voltaire got trucked and and gave the ball up and shame on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know. I mean, just it pass it to Zussi. Zussi's wide Walter. open right there. You know, you do the simple yeah. thing first, right? Do the simple thing. The simple. If you if you if you do the simple things, the 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 difficult things will take care of themselves. Well, also Zussi's much more adept when the pressure starts coming to him after he receives to find the next guy. Yeah. Um, sending it to Voltaire with the defender coming at his back is, yeah, not ideal. I mean, that's, that's, um, it, it, it was, it, I felt like it was all playing in. I felt like we were playing into St. Louis's uh, game plan because they weren't really pressing the center backs. They were kind of sitting back a little bit and, and they were waiting for, they were just letting the center backs pass to a midfielder. If they passed to a midfielder, they just tackled the shit out of them. If they passed to, uh, if they passed to one of the forward players, um, they were, they were there to win second balls. And it just happened again and again and again. And it was, and it it was like somebody please just like do something and and I think Radia uh, Radoya to his credit you know he he is good at at building out of that um, and evading tacklers um, and he, he did not get on the ball um, enough and I think you're right I think he was uh, I think he was I think he was tired and I, I don't think he was uh, as active as he needs to be especially on the defensive side of things um, but but he's just one player, right? And and he's a new player. And the you know you have players. His mobility who, just isn't isn't at the level of of some of the other midfielders we have. And no, it's but it does it doesn't it doesn't have to be pressing him. It it no. doesn't have to be, but that it just makes a, a higher premium puts a higher premium on him uh, being in the place where he has to be. Well, but that I think that's part of the problem. He was not able to create space from Vasilev when Vasilev was covering him, so he never got to receive the ball. When the reality is he's probably the best midfielder we have receiving the ball on the half turn yeah. and like shading it around and then eliminating a player. But neither one of the center backs were passing to him because they were concerned about the pressing player on his back. And some of that is knowing who you're dealing with and just knowing if you show him the pass to the wide side, he's going to turn with it and, and, and eliminate the guy behind him. Um, but neither one of those guys were doing it. I don't know that I necessarily trust Rosero to pinpoint that pass that well. And so now you're stuck with Fantas doing it. And, you know, I mean, heaven, there's heaven, just, there's heaven forbid, heaven forbid you drop Voltaire down and, and, and play a double, double pivot, pivot to, to yeah, no just shit. to, just to disrupt shit. And just to get, you know, just to, just to so get Rosero's some rhythm, not trying to hit a 30 yarder to, to him to, to get a play started. Yeah. I, dude, I mean, uh, dude, yeah, there's, <laughs> when when they ha- when they're pressing when they're pressing with three, <laughs> overwhelming them with numbers in the midfield is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and just well, I uh, think they I think I think they tried to do that sometimes with Zusi, but he couldn't press into the midfield as much as maybe he wanted to because uh, no, because... he had to provide the width outside of the two forwards. Right. It was it, it when they have the exact three to press your triangle of center backs and, and defensive midfielder, you have to drop someone back to allow another outlet. It's fairly simple tactical change that you make to break a pressure situation in that point, but we weren't doing it because no. we have 
sort of an ideologue about what he wants to do. It's just, just kind of a thing. I, I'll be interested to see if some adjustments are made, but it, again, it's not going to be till September till we see them again. And I, we're really not playing another team that plays like this for a while. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, again, I will say this four nil flattered St. Louis quite a bit. It's not like yeah, St. Louis absolutely. played this played that great in this game. Okay. They have, they had 1.4 XG and, and 0.78 of that came on a penalty kick. Yep. So it's not like they created ridiculously good chances. They were very clinical in their shots. Um, one they, of them, they was, benefited from poor goalkeeping too. <laughs> yeah. Well, poor defending and goalkeeping on the first, uh, on the first uh, non-penalty goal. Um, Zussi gets skinned on like the most innocuous of dribble moves, and then McIntosh lets it underneath him. It's pretty poor from both of them on that goal. Um, the penalty, look, I, um, St. Louis got a lot of very, com- very nice referee calls in this game. Um, the ref let the game go, which often happens in these rivalry games. He lets them go. They're going to let him go, and they're going to let it be physical, and our guys just weren't up to it. Um, but additionally, the the penalty call is pretty it's pretty soft, um, but it's not going to be overturned once yeah. they call it. You, you, well, and just, you just no you, way you, that you, call gets overturned. You put yourself in that position when you uh, as a player, when you when you sort of have to reach around to try and win the ball. It's the same thing as, mm-hmm. you know, going it's when the, the same players thing as, pass if you and you right, try if, to get to them. That's if, always going to this is if this you're is going a, to ground, if you're going to ground and trying to make a slide tackle in the box, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, I mean, sometimes you're just going to get that you're just going to get that called against you and there's nothing you can do about it, which is why you can't you you can't put yourself in that situation to begin with. Um, and mm-hmm. and again, you know, um, Rodoya was slow to react to that to to that runner um, and didn't really react until uh, until he received the ball. And so, you know, that's that's what you get. I mean, it's um, yeah. Sometimes you're going to get called for that. Yep. I, it, I don't think it was a penalty. I've talked to St. Louis fans that don't necessarily yeah, don't believe it was a, a stone cold penalty. But once it's called, it's not going to get overturned. There's nothing clear and obvious that says it should be overturned. Yep. And um, there you are. And so now that goal's given up, and then you give up the trash goal after that, and you're down to nothing against a high pressing team, and you're trying to figure out what you do at that point. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I. But I will also say that Sporting's 1.6 or whatever XG was also very much flattered by Game State. They mm-hmm. got like 1.0 XG after they were down three nothing. Like yeah. St. Louis wasn't trying that hard at that yep. point. And they were th- um, and so Sporting, Sporting was just was, throwing throwing numbers forward. Exactly. So they created a lot of significant chances after they were down three to nothing. It, it's a lot of garbage time XG in that yeah. in that map. So something to be aware of there. Um, Kinda got the shit kicked out of him in this game. They yeah. had a very clear tactic, yeah. <laughs> which was to kick the shit out of Gotti Kinda yeah. every time he got on the ball. And it, it was smart because the ref just kept calling fouls. He never called right. a yellow card, even when man, the the first one that, when the guy that was, was two feet. Just in the air. absurd. I mean I mean 
That was an orange card, not just a yellow card. That was an it orange really, card. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, if I if mean, that would have been called a red card, it would not have been rescinded. I mean, it was there, it was a, it was a hard enough foul for it to be have been a, a red card. It was two feet through the back of the player with no really uh, intent to play the ball at all. And and um, okay, so fine, right? You know, it, it, the the calls aren't going our way. Then you have to, as a player, you have to ramp it up and you have to you have to match. You have to match that intensity, and somebody on the team has to start putting in hard tackles there themselves because the ref was—I mean, he was calling it pretty, pretty loose both ways. You know, I mean, he—he gave—he gave Kinda a card, and that was kind of ridiculous. But you know, but you know, you didn't see a response from sporting players, and uh, and that's you know that's disappointing. Yet another reason Jake Davis should have been in this game. Hell, hell um, yeah, hell yeah. I'm pretty sure Jared Stroud was offside on the third goal. Um, but anyway, it, I'm not sure. Like, there, all this stuff is really tight. It's sort of close. It just sort of all went St. Louis's way a little bit. So it felt a little bit like sporting was a little unlucky. Yeah. But also, they, they were. just never made the, they never made their own luck. They no, never they did got not. themselves into a position to do something good. Yeah. It was very much like the game got messed up and they just didn't know what to do about it. So they complained. So look, and, and, I, and even even the the um, even the LAFC game, I, I mean, they did a great job closing down that game. Um, they they we I agree with you that they looked really good. Uh, their XG in that game was was nothing. I mean, they didn't create chances. The chance that Johnny Russell scored on was uh, like point. 02 XG or something ridiculous it's like that. It's an old school Johnny Russell dribble through four guys goal. Yeah, uh, this and, is not and, repeatable. And send it through their legs and nutmeg the keeper. And I mean, it, it's just like that is not a, a, a repeatable action. Uh, and and so, um, you know, even though we had um, three goals against Minnesota, that didn't that didn't solve our problems. I mean, they're all still they're all still there. The problems uh, have not gone away. Yeah, they, they, there's been some variance on both sides of the XG number over the last five matches, I'd say. They they created a fair number of chances against Houston and, and did not score. They, you know, 1.6 XG in this game and did not score, thanks a lot to Roman Berkey. Um, they scored on very low number of chances against L.A. I think they had three shots on goal. Yep. Um, granted, they almost stole it at the end and probably should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, um so I, I think that, you know, why, why, why did they gonna, almost, why did they almost steal it? Because they subbed in a freaking center forward that they're, came because, in and pressed the hell out of somebody. Yeah, they were, because they were playing young kids who didn't give a fuck and who were going out there and, and, and chasing after it, you know, who were playing so hard, making for, tackles. I, I'm going to be honest. I've seen a free for, for two games now and he played just a little bit against Houston and a little bit in this one. And I think I really like him. Yeah. Uh, he's raw. He's exceptionally raw, but um, his activity is extremely high, and he does not mind getting in the middle of stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know we've got some work to do on his quality, but his um, his understanding of where to be and how to get involved in the game is pretty high. Um, so we'll see if he gets some more run out. I mean, Kyrie Shelton's injured, and I mean you and I would be both would both be fine if he just got bought out and we moved on yeah but um afrifa in his couple of appearances i've been warmed by what Mm -hmm. i see um his activity is good and he's he doesn't seem afraid to get into stuff 
No, he, had, when, he had a sitter against Houston that he missed. Yeah, that happens. Um, when he, when he gets the ball, he goes to goal. Right? I mean, he is mm-hmm. he, he has a, a, that direct mindset. Um, and he and, reminds me of Dom Dwyer a little bit in that regard. Sure. He's very yeah. direct in how yeah. he plays, but that's okay. We yeah, need some directness, absolutely. honestly. So it was LAFC was a much more positive performance. Um, almost stole the game, as you noted. Still not really creating a ton of chances from open play that are of significance, but um, the team played the system very well. Mm-hmm. I'm still not. I'm still not sure. I know what an ideal starting lineup is for this squad. I, I don't, especially in this four three three. I'm I'm not sure. I I I'm certain of what the best way this team goes out and plays. But um, to be able to create positive, creative, you know, regular chances. Um, it's obvious that Gotti is the most creative midfielder we have, but that's not, I wouldn't call him a creative midfielder either. No, he's so, not. So, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's typical MLS. You've got a bunch of players that they're playing in MLS for a reason. They're not always consistently good. So mm-hmm. you just hope to catch them all being good at the same time at some point. Um, but they were, they did, they played very solidly against LA. Um, last thing in the top three, I, I brought the, I put this on the list, man, because I'm just, I, I want to make sure that everyone understands we, we were very high on the Radia uh, up until this point. The thing that I want everyone to be aware of is that he is not ever going to be Diego Chara or Blum or uh, Obana Nobuoto, or any of these guys who are traditional destroyer number sixes. He's not that player. He is a good positional player. He reminds, he's more of the, let me put it this way, he's more of the Sergio Busquets, uh, Rodri kind of mold than he is of the um, Diego Chara mold. Um, he's, he's uh, what did Pep say about Busquets this week? Is something about like he never has to move. He's always in the right place. Yeah, I mean it's true. Um, I think I think Rodoya tries to play more like that. Yeah. Than than he does trying to clean guys out with tackles or be a physical presence or any of those kinds of things. So the question is, is that the right type of number six for this team? Knowing that we're going to talk a little bit later about the lack of bite that this club has. I mean. <laughs> In in context, um, probably not. I mean, the, you you have to have somebody who does that in your team, right? You have to have somebody um, in in the spine, in the middle of the field, who um, who's able and willing to be an enforcer. Um, I, I I like I very strongly believe that. Um, and if you if you have a team full of people who don't want to uh, who don't want to be that player, then you run into what we ran into uh, against St. Louis, and and you you just get pushed around, and nobody steps up, and you know, um, and and just lays somebody out to to answer. Uh, and that frankly, I mean, that's what needed to happen. And um, I I I do think that Rodoya can he might actually be able to be that player more I mean he's never going to be like completely that way but but the thing is, is he's he's he is physical like he's a big guy and um he's really hard to 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 get off of the ball once he's on the ball um and um 
and I we've seen him put in some 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 you know not like not like he's more know, of a ground duels guy than a tackling right. guy like though, like, right? he'll, like he'll he'll gonna, muscle gonna, people off the ball right 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 that's the thing and 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 that's okay I mean I think that um I think that I think that the team can work with him in the midfield um especially against you know uh opposition that um you know that that is uh maybe a little substandard but but you know I mean we worry about uh, about what happens when you play uh, against teams or against coaches who have systems that um, that um, can eliminate him, right? I mean, how how is he going to track uh, um, you know someone like Carlos Hill? How is he going to track somebody uh, like? Um, I go think I see. That's the thing that's interesting. I think against a Carlos Hill or a Lucas Zellerayan or a um, Nicolo Dero, I think he's actually going to be fine in those situations. I think he's used to tracking those kind of guys. Okay. And he is, his positioning's not bad. I think where he struggles is playing against chaotic attacking sure. that, ma- that makes sense. Like, like Vasilev, who was pressing all mm-hmm. over the place, all up over his back, rolling off his shoulder and sprinting to the right to receive the ball. Mm-hmm. Like that's stuff that I think he struggles with because he's just not as mobile as those guys are. Yeah. But if you ever watch Heel and Zellerad and those guys, those guys aren't moving quickly and chaotically. Yeah. They have a very, they have a lot of thought and idea to where they're going to be and at what time. And I think he his game reading is good enough to deal with the people who do that stuff. I think it's more the chaotic midfielders that he struggles with personally. Yeah, I mean, so so but given that, and I I do uh, I do agree with you. I I think that um, I don't know, man. It's it's such a hard like I I. I tend to think that he can uh, he that he can do the job and that the team can be successful with him, but the the, the lack of physicality is just always 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 going to be a, a problem for me and uh, and I think maybe uh, Rosero um, can sort of fit that bill, um, and other than that, um, I, I mean I, I'm much more comfortable uh, having uh, Ndenbe and and Davis on the field just because they have that sort of physical presence and they're not uh they're not afraid to get into it maybe Leibold isn't either I mean we haven't really seen him enough to know yeah. uh, but I, he does I not I seem think it was I think it was tough throwing Leibold into this game oh like, I, I totally agree really tough I totally agree I think it was a terrible he idea hasn't played for months uh-huh. he, he looked really good in the one game he played yeah. until he got injured again but I mean this is a really high stakes high high intensity yeah. match to throw throw him right into yeah um and and in Denbe when he came out at halftime was great by the way he was yeah. really really good um one thing I didn't get to when we were talking about the match in Denbe's passing have you noticed how much it's improved yeah like he is he's getting good like his yeah. delivery from wide his crosses are really good like he's looping balls onto targets they're not just hopeful he's actually finding a target and picking it out but also i see him passing with the left-sided midfielder quite a bit uh mm-hmm. as well as shallowy and in in like smart passing not like here's my overlap more mm-hmm. like let me find this guy into this space um stuff i hadn't seen him do up until this point yeah and i think if you have um, if you have that uh, that player mirrored by uh, another young physical player uh, like Jake Davis on the other side, I think that um, I think that that can work. Um, and I'm much more comfortable with that than you know what was trot- what was trotted out there uh, on on Saturday night. Um, 
And then, then it's just a matter of then it's just a matter of you know managing minutes in the midfield and and uh, with the eights and seeing uh, and seeing you know who can who can do the job. And I think that we saw that you know Kinda is probably you know uh, you know from a physicality standpoint he might not be the best option, especially when you don't have Ndenbe over there to sort of help him. Um, and and so um, you know I it's it. You just kind of have to. You you, you if, have to if, think about if Ken, it. If Kenda needs, if Kenda needs Ndenbe there to help, Hubbard, I mean, I, I, I think mean, it would have helped that. him. I think it would have helped him uh, um, on Saturday night for sure. Um, I think that um, that that having somebody to play off of uh, who is more familiar with you, like Ndenbe, would be good because I think that Kenda got stuck dribbling too often i think that was part of the problem but i also think that uh that having you know a more muscular defensive present uh, presence you know when, when you have somebody um who's playing um with you and and behind you um um as a as a player you it, it and you and you know that you can trust them that there's somebody back there um it 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 frees you up a little bit you can take more chances you're not worried about losing the ball and and uh and then um you know giving up a scoring chance because you know that that you have a a solid defensive presence who's got your back and i think that that's uh that's important well there's also a, a, an alternative universe where if Ndenbe starts he's getting into duels a lot more with some of those those players on that side and he's much more physical than Leibold is and can actually push guys off the ball that's something yeah. he's been fairly successful at the past yeah. month since he's been starting that wears those guys out a little bit and all of a sudden they're not quite so aggressive when they yeah. come after Gotti like th- there's just a lot of dominoes that come that come from that um that I hadn't considered about about him playing. I mean, again, we're doing a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking about yeah. this. It, you look at it from when you saw the performance that we got out of those fullbacks in the first half, you much rather would have inverted that and just start the other guys for a half and bring the other one bring these guys in at halftime. Absolutely. Um, I think that I think that there's a scenario where that would have made a lot more sense. And it's easy, again, in hindsight to say that, but um, it is definitely a miss, I think, that the team had. Okay, let's talk about goalkeepers. Um, tactical owner this week is going to be focused on goalkeeping for a couple reasons. One, um, Kendall McIntosh did not have his best night against St. Louis. Um, and Tim Melia is out for three to four months with some sort of hip flexor muscle. I don't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word that Peter used to describe his injury, but it's apparently fairly significant. doesn't require surgery, but requires a lot of immobility to recover effectively from. And, um, you know, I, I think when we were on this podcast at the end of last year, we were talking about, do they bring Timilia back or not? Do we have the right goalkeepers to manage the situation as is? Uh, especially when you see Tim's making Kyrie Shelton money um, and what that means from a budget perspective, you know, is that the right way to go about it? We made a lot of fun of St. Louis for spending $1.6 million on their goalkeeper, but you saw it at play last, uh, last Saturday and what that buys you when you do it right. I'm not saying that everybody's done that right. Some teams have spent that money on goalkeepers and not done that. Tim Howard. Um <laughs> <laughs> but 
there there is some val there is value in this league to having an above average goalkeeping the, the 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 margins are pretty tight in this league and so when you have a goalkeeper that is significantly uh valuable from a g plus perspective like stopping shots and stopping goals that can be an x factor for your team gaining a couple extra wins a season and a couple extra wins a season takes you from out of the playoffs to in or from fourth place to second, you know, that there are some significant capabilities. And then if that goalkeeper gets on a hot streak in the playoffs, you're all of a sudden you're winning MLS cup. So let's talk a little bit about goalkeeping this week. Um, I, I noted last week that I had some thoughts about our goalkeepers and where they are. Um, based on what I've seen this year, and I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would have said this last year, and I think it's because he was injured so much, but based on what I've seen this year, I think Tim Millie is still the best goalkeeper on this squad. I don't know if he is a six, $700,000 a year goalkeeper, but I think he'd be hard to replace for less than that. Um, I think he's the he's, best, he's the best, he's definitely the best shot stopper. Uh, on mm-hmm. the club, um, I he think he's maybe slightly the best, just by by a hair, the best maybe overall goalkeeper. Um, right. But I think, that, but I think that there are holes in his game, and I think that uh, I, I don't think that he is a you know pencil in in um, in ink um, starter, in my opinion. I think that I think that it's by. Hmm. Here's what I'd say this. If you were to look at the whole picture and what your expected performance is from each one of these goalkeepers, I think that Melia is by a wider margin than you're saying overall the best goalkeeper on this team. Now, I know that these goalkeepers behind him are capable of performances that are in excess of what Melia does, but they don't do it consistently. They have Mm -hmm. significant consistency problems. Manilia is a much more consistent goalkeeper than any of them are. And so that's where I put his value at as far as the best goalkeeper on the team. Um, let's get into goalkeeping things real quick. Um, I am not Mike Kuhn. I did not play goalkeeper and play goalkeeper in collegiately. And I'm, I'm not as versed in all of these things as some folks might be. But I do have a fair understanding of this game, of this position. I, w- I was a backup goalkeeper in high school um, and have gone through some of this stuff. And so I've, I've got some basic tenets that we can put together about what to look for when you're looking at goalkeeping play. So the one thing that Melia is very good at is commanding the box. And when we talk about box command, you're sort of a backline general. The thing that you have to remember as a goalkeeper, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, is you can see things that literally no one else can see. You have the entire field in front of you. You have all the players in front of you. You can see them all moving. You have a perspective that no one else has. Also, you know where you're at comparative to the goal and comparative to them. So when a defensive action is happening, you can direct them into places that help close off opportunities to the, to the uh, opponent's offense. So there is a certain amount of sort of general in the box kind of um, things that you're doing as a goalkeeper to position your team in the right way to limit the opportunities of, of the opponent. At the same time, you're the only one that can use your hands. So 
when you can go out there and grab the ball, you need to tell them to get the fuck out of the way so you can go out there and grab the ball. And you need to be able to read those situations effectively and when to call them off. All of those types of things of controlling your area, controlling the box. You hear this on broadcasts a lot, but it is an important part of goalkeeping is reading situations effectively, understanding what your capabilities are to be able to affect them in real time and be able to make decisions in that way. So that's what we, that's what we mean when we talk about commanding your box. The other thing is, is about positional awareness in the goal mouth. So if you ever watch a goalkeeper, especially, you know, professional goalkeepers, if you ever watch them, they're always taking very small steps. You know what I mean? Their, their feet are moving in very small increments, always trying to keep their, they're on their toes underneath their shoulder blades in a way that where they are extremely on balance at all points in time. Um, at the same time, they're moving in these very small steps, either direction based on the positional relationships of their defenders to the opponents, to the ball, all of that kind of stuff. And then trying to pre-read where a shot might come from. Where is the most likely angle this shot could come from if it's about to come? and positioning yourself in a place where you receive it. Roman Berkey made a couple great saves against Sporting Kansas City, but what made him able to make those saves was his positioning. His positioning was phenomenal at all times. There were a couple there were a couple shots where the shot went straight to him and it looked like nothing, and it was because he was he knew where the shot would be and he had pre-positioned himself there. It wasn't because we hit a bad shot right at the goalkeeper. It's because he figured out where the angle was and positioned himself there. So positional awareness is always a real big thing. I, I talked about the technique of getting your feet under your shoulders. Um, we talk about, there's a thing with goalkeepers about high hand. So um, whenever you see a goalkeeper like dive for a save, especially one that's high, right? So if, if the if the if the shot is going towards the upper part of the goal, you always want to try to save that with your high hand. I.e. so if you're diving to your left, you want to be using your left hand to do it because you want that is the one that's highest up on your body. You don't want to ever reach across your body to try and make a save. Reaching across your body limits your range, limits your ability to stretch to the ball. So there's there's a high hand technique related to that and then the last one is, is going to become important when we talk about Kendall McIntosh is getting big while protecting underneath you. Um, so there are ways that goalkeepers get down where if you see them 1v1 with, a, with an opponent, uh, opponent player, and this is really hard to, to describe on a podcast, but when you see them get 1v1, you'll often see them get down on one knee and get the other knee up and then their hands big on either side of them. And the reason they're doing that is to block the path of the ball underneath their legs. The, the place that scorers always look for, always, 1v1 with a goalkeeper is in between their legs. They will look for that hole every single time because it's the, the hardest place to protect a shot from. Getting nutmegged is a common occurrence for goalkeepers, unfortunately. So there's always a movement the goalkeepers will do to try to block that hole at the same time that they're making themselves big in a 1v1 situation. Um, obviously, passing and playing with your feet, really important in the modern game. Each of these goalkeepers have different capabilities with that. And then 
one of the, this is a God given talent, either you got it or you don't quick reaction stuff. Are you able to react quickly when you, when you visually see what's happening, get out of your feet and spring to that place. Um, again, as I mentioned before with Roman Berkey, his great saves were a combination of exceptional positional awareness combined with his ability to, to make a quick reaction to the ball. So those are the main things that you're looking for from goalkeepers in their play. Let's talk about our players and what, what they <laughs> possess and what they don't. <laughs> okay, Kendall McIntosh. I think you and I both were kind of on the, the train to start McIntosh in this St. Louis game um, because he is very good with his feet. He does make himself big in 1v1s. He's very good when he's 1v1 with a with a with a offensive player making it difficult to score beyond him, even though he's the smallest goalkeeper of the three. Um, his reactions are fairly good, but his positioning, not generally ideal. Part of the problem with him is because he's smaller, it's much harder for him. He he can't cover as much of the goal mouth naturally as a pulse cap can. I mean, they're, they're just significantly different physique-wise. Um, but also his technique. So I want to talk about the goal that they scored real quick because I, I alluded to it earlier. Mm -hmm. When the second goal that St. Louis scored, where Zussi gets skinned by the most innocuous dribble move I've ever seen, and and Vasilev hits the shot. That is a really, really poor save technique by McIntosh there. And I'm gonna I'm gonna explain why. Um, for those of you that are, that uh hang out in the cauldron end, sit in the cauldron end, and you, you get that, get out there early and see them do goalie warmups. One of the very first things that they do in goalie warmups is getting to the ground to save the ball, right? So you're, you'll see Alec Dufty out there and he's just hitting a really short one. He's not maybe, he's maybe six yards away from him and he's just hitting it and they have to really snap down to the ground really quickly to save the ball. One thing that happens every time in that movement, when you're going to your side to save the ball like that, you never come down on your elbow, ever. The whole point of that movement is to take the whole side of your body and get it on the ground at the same time as your leg. You're, you're getting all the side of your body down at the same time. Why? Because then there's nothing to go underneath of. If you come down on your elbow, you leave a hole underneath your abdomen. Like it's a big no-no to come down on your elbow like that with it, like at that 90 degree angle, you don't do that. You come down with your hands out, out to the side in front of you and you hit your whole body to the ground. And if I promise you watch those warmups every time those guys are going straight body to the ground with their hands out. That's how they smother that ball. And Macintosh did not do that there. He went down on his elbow and he left the hole under his abdomen. And that's exactly why that goal went by him. And it's just, it's just bad technique. And unfortunately this is not uncommon for him. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add. Um, other than, uh, you know, I think that, I think that part of, uh, his problem is that he was, um, he looked like he wasn't maybe expecting the shot. He was in, in, he was looked like maybe he was moving out uh, away from the goal. 
like to close down the the shooter maybe when when the shot came. Uh, but regardless, I mean that's not a uh, that's that's not a good excuse. That but that this, is a, this is pretty simple. This is pretty is simple technique. Absolutely, stuff, absolutely. No, it. I <laughs> I totally agree with you. I'm not uh, okay. I'm not by any means trying to make excuses. It was uh, it should have been saved. Um, and I, and I, I mean you know I, get I think that he was surprised I, that the ball got through. But I mean you're a goalkeeper. You that's your job. Fall down the right way. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I think that I think that's a ball that that likely both of the other keepers would have saved. I think that you know. Nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that—that's the point that I'm making is yeah. that that is a bad goal to give up, and he does give up bad goals. Yeah, it, it's a problem. Um, there are there are saves that he makes that are great, mm-hmm. but he gives up bad goals too, and and they're technique related, and that is why he's been a journeyman backup around right. MLS for ten years. I think that's the other good point is that is that. Uh, these these mistakes, um, especially the technique mistakes, might be a little bit more forgivable if he was Pulse Camp's age, but he's not. He's like he's almost thirty years old, and so um, thirty years uh, old. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I that's that's the point that I'm trying to get to is and and all of these goalkeepers are flawed in some way, and I mean part of it is it's MLS. You know, we're not talking about I don't know peak Kaylor Navas. Okay, we're talking about guys that are, you know, they're they're going to have flaws, but um, I do like how he plays with his feet. I do like how he deals with one v one transition moments. He's very good at that. Um, he's very athletic, so all of those things are good. Um, but yeah, giving up really low xG chances is not something I'm a fan of. And I promise you, Stefan Fry doesn't give up that goal. No. no fucking way. And and that's that's you know kind of the issue that we're dealing with with him. All right, let's talk about John Polskamp. Um Polskamp, as we've noted many times on this podcast, very active off his line, likes to get forward. Um I would say maybe a little bit too much. He's a little too aggressive. No way. Uh, the good news is is that aggression is easy to bring back. You can't often yep. teach someone to do mm-hmm. it effectively. You can dial them back a little bit. So I think this is a coachable thing for him. Absolutely. Just understanding, understanding the right time to do it. Don't like. Don't tell him. Don't don't tell him you're you're way too aggressive. That's not the right way to coach him here. It's more like, hey, just let's let's think about the best times to do this. Um, capable of ridiculously athletic saves just crazy ones. I remember the one that he made where he had to track back and like tip it over. It was, was it this year? Was it, I think it was early, earlier this year I think it was. where he came, he had to come out on a transition, stop a guy. And then they get, they, they tried to chip him and he went all the way back and knocked it out. He's unbelievable at that kind of stuff. He, he does a lot of like off, like highlight reel kind of stuff. Some some of it is self inflicted. He has to do the highlight reel thing because he's been a little bit too much. Um, I'm not sure how good of an actual shot stopper he is. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he does seem to have the natural sort of voice for commanding the commanding a back line and commanding an area. I'm not sure he has as much control of the area as Melia does, but mm-hmm. he at least seems to possess the understanding of it. Um, still a little bit raw in my opinion. I but think that I like his, uh, the upside I like, is huge. 
I like his presence on corner kicks uh, quite a bit, honestly. I think That's a that good point. He is, yeah, he's very uh, good at claiming a ball on a corner. Yeah. That's a valid point. I didn't even have that in here, but you're really you're dead on about that. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I I I like Pulse Camp a lot, honestly, and I think that um, I think that just from a, a, a statistics and numbers uh, point of view, he's probably um, he he's a little uh, hard done by uh, in the earlier games um, that he did not have he did not have his players scoring goals to sort of help him out. And he, I think that he was under, uh, under a lot of pressure, but, um, but, but like you said, I mean, he has a, he has a, uh, he's a young guy with a high upside and, um, he has the physical tools to be, um, to be a, a starter in, uh, in MLS. Uh, and I'm not sure that McIntosh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of lean towards thinking that maybe we've seen enough to know that maybe he's not, uh, an MLS starter. Uh, but I think that Pulse Camp uh, still could be. And um, it's just a matter of, of, of you know, how, how painful it is to get him to that point. I mean, my thought about it is this. We have three to four months. This season is, I mean, can we be honest with each other? <laughs> Basically over. I mean, the, the, the likelihood of Sporting making the playoffs at this point is extremely low. Yeah. Uh, the betting odds probably would have, I don't know, Mark, you'll have to tell me, but the betting odds are probably over plus 2,000 for Sporting to make the playoffs at this point. If that's the case, maybe it's time to figure out if John Polskamp is your guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, hey, what, what do you have to lose? I, at this point, um, nothing. I mean, Amelia's already going to be out uh, for the bulk of right. the season. So, you know. I think what I will be quite interested by here is, and I don't know if Tim is capable of teaching this, but it will be interesting to me to see if Tim, knowing that he's, he's out, is able to help coach these guys up a little bit because mm -hmm. there are some things that Tim does that are very veteran-related that I would hope that he could help sort of impose upon them. So let's talk about Tim. Obviously, he's out for three to four months. We're not going to see him till September at the earliest. And at that point, this season may be at a position where we just don't see him. Um, obviously, he's a huge plus shot stopper. That is Timmy's thing. He stops shots. He stops shots that he probably shouldn't stop. Penalty stopper. Unreal penalty stopper. I think... Most people don't understand how big of a deal this has been for this team for a long time. I mean, I, we, we do like reasonably like winning the penalty shootouts and whatnot. There are games we have won because he has stopped the penalty in the game. Um, so and neither one of the guys behind him are good at this. No, um, he is an unreal penalty shot stopper. It is a talent that very few people have. And Tim Melia has it. At, at an elite level. Um, and so it's just really hard to replace. So we can't be giving up penalties when he's out. We just can't do it because the, you don't have the guy that's going to save you back there like he did against Minnesota. Yeah. Um, his box command is, is very, very good. Mm -hmm. He's, he looks like a 37 year old goalkeeper that has a lot of experience and knows where players are going to be. And he controls it. Um, I would say that, you know, as we talked about last week, he doesn't make the best decisions coming off his line. He's a minus passer other than when he's doing a, a volley or a drop kick. Um, and obviously we've noticed that as he's gotten older, his reactions aren't quite as good as they used to be. 
Um, I'm, I'm just like, if we, if he can teach Pulse Camp the positioning part of the game a little bit better, and the control of the area part of the game, uh, Pulse Camp's very good at controlling set pieces, as you noted. But if we can get him to control the area a little bit better when there are, you know, uh, there's a combination sort of thing going up and just sort of getting in the right place and um, being in the right position to, you know, to make a save look easy. Those are the things that I think Pulse Camp needs some help with. And, I, you know, he's young enough that I feel like some of that can be learned. I mean, Melia was a shit show possession wise when he when he became the goalkeeper here and he's yeah but but manageable. he's be manageable right i mean and I, that's one point i was going to make is that really um it, most of those qualities that melia had uh, or has he had when he came here um and and the the thing that the development that's happened since he's been at kansas city i think has primarily been in his distribution um and so uh, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> uh, I hope I, I guess I'm with you. I hope that he can, uh, he can uh, give some of that knowledge to, to Pulse Camp. I think the problem is that, um, is that uh, Pulse Camp is coming into a situation if he, if he becomes the starter for the rest of the season. I mean, he's coming into a situation that's, you know, that that's not great. Like the defense has been shaky and, you know, Tamelia came into a situation with a really, with a really solid defense. Um, and, uh, I think that that matters. I mean, that context is important. And, um, and just in terms of uh, a goalkeeper getting, um, getting comfortable and gaining confidence. Um, and, um, and so that, that concerns me a little bit, but, uh, but I, I, but the alternative is not is is not great, and so um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think Pulse Camp should be uh, the starter. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think that we've got an opportunity to find out if there's really something there. Yeah, uh, by letting him play that position, whether or not he gets hung out to dry by the back line or not, I think we can overlook those things as reasonable people as to whether or not you know there's there's too many bad. Um, opportunities being pushed his way to yeah. effectively evaluate it as his or his fault or not. But we can, like, McIntosh did not have a good game against St. Louis. There's no if ands, or buts about it, and that was not because of the back line. Right. Um, Agreed. And so I think, I think that we can reasonably evaluate that. And then I think also it helps you understand as a club, is this a position of need yeah. going forward? Um, and, or not. And I think that that's a really important thing to understand. Yeah. Cause if it is a position of need, like it's a pretty big need. I mean, uh, the, the, the alternative to, um, to believing that you can develop pools camp and, and going with him is, is then having to go out and, and sign a, 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 a starting quality, uh, goalkeeper. And that's, um, I mean, that's 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 easier said than done, you know. I mean, it's not uh, it's not easy to find goalkeepers um, that have all of those qualities that we've mentioned, um, who are who are not already starters on either other teams in this league or or at uh, at at bigger leagues. And so, um, it's a, I think a it's a it'll be interesting to see, uh, regardless of what happens. I mean, I think you and I both really hope that, that, um, that Bulls camp can develop here because, um, 
because he seems like a good guy and also because it's nice to develop your young players into into MLS starters. I mean, maybe this is another one of those that we find out after because Vermees is required to trot him out over and over and over again that he's a, actually a good player. This is what happened with Jake Davis. Like it was basically by accident and forced into a situation where we had to do it that we figured out, hey, Jake Davis, probably our best or second best right back um, and had no idea. Um, I mean, similarly with Pulls Camp, I mean, we've seen flashes with him, but I think there's an opportunity here for him. He's going to have to play a lot, and the 21-year-olds are going to be inconsistent, but the more they play, the more they remove that inconsistency, and maybe he's not Gago Slonina, but maybe he's a 10-year MLS starter, and that's fine too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I personally never thought that he played poorly enough to lose his starting spot um, anyway. <laughs> like, I don't, um, you know, I know that once Melia got healthy, it was kind of like, oh, here's, you know, here's your spot back. And I guess I understand that, um, you know, given, um, given everything. But, um, and, and the team's form did sort of pick up after after Amelia started starting so there is that to consider too but but I I did not I didn't have a problem with, really with the way that Polskamp played earlier in this year um uh he could have done some things better but he could have done some things uh worse and I think that you know given his situation and his age um I thought that um I I would say he he met expectations he didn't really exceed expectations but uh he met expectations and I uh, I'm not uncomfortable with him um, starting moving forward. Yeah, I think it was a, um, I think that Melia was definitely overall a better goalkeeper when he came back, but I don't think that Pulls Camp is someone that you're like, oh, he's not good enough. I don't believe right. that either. Yeah. So I, I think that there's some, and, and again, as we've noted several times, there's opportunity for him to learn and grow still. Mm-hmm. And I think that hopefully this team takes that opportunity to coach him up. Because we don't have many other options. Well, and there's there's a different cast of characters on the back line too. I mean, you know, it, it, having having Davis and and Rosero and uh, a healthy Ndenbe and even uh, Rodoya, if you want to put him in there. I mean, those are all players who weren't available uh, when Pulskamp was getting starts at the beginning of the season, and I think that that I think that has to be taken into consideration also. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the more the 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 two center backs play with Radia, the the more that 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 partnership will improve as well, and things will will improve as far as the chances that are getting through to him. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to Popery. Um, we have alluded to this topic already at the at the hit, um, and it's related to this team just generally being soft, sort of Charmin extra soft. Um, so Graham Zusi made some comments after the game to Daniel Sperry, and I, I'm going to have to paraphrase them because I don't have them directly in front of me, but they were along the lines of, you know, we got out, we got out physical in this game and, you know, we need to do better. And we used to be a team that was physically, physically dominant. And I'm, again, I'm putting words in his mouth on this one. It's not exactly along those lines, but it was, that's basically what he was saying. And we need to get back to being a physically dominant team. And you had a very good comment in relation to this that I thought was fair. It's like, when's the last time this team's been physically dominant at all? I, yeah. Can I mean, 2017? 
peak Ico Parra years, maybe? So the funny thing about the potpourri um, uh, segment is that, like, it just seems like it's it's me pointing out when we're right, uh, how we've been right all along. Uh, and we've been right all along on this because the the team is soft. They've been soft uh, for some time. And, you know, um, this the the current iteration of the team is is built for you know 2019 not for 2023 and um and uh that includes as we talked about before that includes you know 2019 roger who's who's you know four or five years younger than what he is now um and that's the that's the hardness on the team that's the that's the spine that's the steel on the team and um and without that it's you know it's 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 rough, man. And and the funny thing is, Zussi saying that is Zussi. I love Zussi. He's a great player, but he's never been that player, right? I mean, he's not. Uh, he's not a super physical pl- presence. He's not. Uh, he's never been a physically dominant uh, 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 player, even you know, even when he was um, in his early twenties. That's not his game. Um, um, and so the fact that he's you know saying that um, all. You know that the the goal that he gave up when he got skinned, um, um, he would have been better just fouling that kid, right? He would have been better just like just like kicking him in the kicking him in the calf and giving up a free have kick. To foul him. He could. Oh, no, I believe him me. Off I know. <laughs> I know. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just like it, you can't you can't make that comment after doing that out on the field. It just seems a little silly to me. Um, because you had that, you had that opportunity to be physical and, um, and you didn't, and you gave up a goal because of it. And so, um, and as you, as, and as you just noted, there are lots of different ways that that can look right. I mean, um, but, but the thing they all have in common is, uh, you have to be committed to doing that, right? You have to go in there. You like sometimes soccer is a contact sport, man. You gotta, sometimes you have to go in it, uh, go into it lo- looking to be a bully, right? Cause if you don't, if, if you're not the bullier, you're going to get bullied. And, and that's what happened on Saturday night is, is like time after time in, in, in position after pos- position around the field, um, sporting Kansas city's players got bullied and, um, and that's because they are uh, they are Charmin soft, as you said. Well, and it's it's almost like just being aware of the contact coming and being able to deal with it and get guys off of it. We talked about in Denbe having obviously he's a huge like he's a muscle hamster like of, of he's a power cube of your ideal variety Cody yeah but that so some of it has to do with that but the other part is that he just naturally he sees contact coming and prepares for it and yeah. and has himself in a way that he you're you're going to deal with him versus you, him dealing with you yep um i i was listening to extra time on uh on the uh was it tuesday yesterday um and goss talked about playing in a in a and like a you know fun you know pickup match with, with in new york with diego valeri diego valeri was yeah. on the uh-huh. opposing team and he talked about the fact he's like Diego. He looks like so wiry and whatnot. And I thought I was just gonna sh- just like scrub him off the ball. And he's so strong. Like I had no chance. Like I'm like seventy five pounds heavier than this guy, and I had no chance. He just just didn't move. Like I tried to move him, and he didn't move. And I'm not. And trust me, I understand that Graham Zusi is of that ilk. Like he is a yeah. professional soccer player, and he's capable of doing that. But that's what I'm saying is use that. Use that to your advantage. Like, 
there there's just not enough of it I, I agree with his comment but i'm also like dude since when have you been the guy shrugging people off the ball yeah never <laughs> and, and that's and okay that's much... not that's not you but that the, but there has to be somebody like that well and you have to but the other part of it is the team has to play through tackles yeah stop there's too much looking for a foul there's too much yeah. where's my foul call complaining to referees all the time yep. it's it's a game look i understand that sporting isn't always getting calls going their way but i don't think this ref called that game that poorly and mm, so it's pretty bad. Not, I mean, but but it was equally poor. Let me put it uh, yes, that way. Like, I, I agree. Like, I agree with that. <laughs> when I say he didn't call it that poorly, I'm saying he didn't intentionally or significantly advantage one team. Yeah. And and that's so like if you find out in the first 10 minutes, this is what the match has got to be. You got to come to that level. Yep. And this team constantly when the game gets mussed up and physical cowers away from it yeah and just gets dominated and that's just a frustrating thing to watch man um and and you don't watch it as as um fun to watch and possession oriented and drilled and pretty manchester city is you don't ever watch them get muscled off the ball no that doesn't happen there Maybe they're not cleaning guys out with tackles all day long, but they're not getting they're not getting pushed around, and that that's the part that's really really concerning. I mean, it was very clear against St. Louis, but this is not the first time. No, it's not, and um, I don't know, man. Like sometimes you just you just gotta light somebody up. I mean, that's you have to have a player on your team who's 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 willing to be an enforcer and and uh and the fact is that is that with Roger off um and no Courtney Ford um you know it's it's like I, I don't know it's Roger I, I not Roger it's uh, it's Johnny I mean I don't know like like who who is yeah, who's does, there how does, who's gonna... way, how does your right winger set up No he set can't a, that's the problem team. that's the problem he can't but it is a tone setting so, thing and that's and that's so so you know like my own, my my own son is very he played left back which is not in the, in the middle of the field but but um but it was still a defensive position and and he was able uh, oftentimes to be a tone setter because he was that player who would who would go into a tackle and um and it looked super violent <laughs> and you're like also, how did how is there noted, not a card noted noted power cube like this is true very, this is true he's very uh, strong in his lower body uh, and he would win the ball and not get carded even though he left players just crumpled on the on on the field and um um you know which you know, I mean, I kind of enjoy that, honestly. But, uh, but most importantly, it's it's tone setting for the team, um, and um, and that's important because, like I said, you know, that we're not we're not you know vintage Barcelona. We're not gonna like tiki tack our way around. And and even if we were, we would still need you know we would still need somebody who 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 could uh, you know who could put in a tackle. I mean, Barcelona did it with with Puyol. You know, I mean. Um, every team, every, like every team that you can think of that's an elite team, uh, with the possible exception of, of, of modern um, uh, contemporary Manchester City, every team has a player uh, like that, um, and, and except for Kansas City. Kansas City does not. 
Yeah, and I mean, maybe not laying in a tackle, but City's got a bunch of guys that are really hard to get off the ball. Like Erling yeah. Holland, have you watched him hold some hold center backs up? Like that guy is unreal. Like he'll have guys tackling him, and he'll yeah. still get the touch. And like two it. guys tackling him. He's just... Jack Grealish doesn't mess around. Like he he can't. They've got guys yeah. who will play physically without putting in hard tackles. Okay, and, and so actually, I mean? Grealish is a really good shout out because you know I think that that. Um, as a player at Aston Villa, I, I, I never thought of him as a physical player like that. I it was always a you know sort of a dribbly, attacky player, um, and um, and moving to Manchester City, like he, um, I saw him this year put in some 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 really um, gritty defensive performances, pressing and tackling, um, and that's what you need to do. And you know I think that. Um, you know, just to bring it back to Sporting Kansas City, like uh, I think that that Daniel Shallowy can do that in in as a presser, right? He can do it uh, up in the opponent's attacking third. He's really good at that. Um, but there needs to be there needs to be somebody other in other places to do it. And I, you know, especially if if uh, um, the team tries to sit back and play sort of that that mid block, which I'm I'm still kind of confused about the value of that, of that sort of, uh, mid block, um, that's not really pressy and, um, that kind of fails in my opinion to get pressure on the ball at all. Um, and it's pretty gappy, but if you're going to play that, right, if you're going to play that, that sort of loose, soft mid block, when, when the ball is passed to somebody within that, you know, within those lines, you got to tackle them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to you have to be close enough and you have to close down and you have to tackle them. Otherwise, teams just pass through you like we've seen teams do to Kansas City. Yeah, I don't know that St. Louis ever really passed through them. I think all their really their goal scoring events came off of uh, yeah. transition. So I think no, that they, they, they came off of us. <laughs> <laughs> they were sitting in that loose mid block because St. Louis was never going to pass through them. They didn't. They didn't have any interest in doing it. They they weren't going to do it. They haven't been sitting in it that much this no, year. That, but you're right. I mean, it, it doesn't work if they're not going to pressure the ball as soon as it gets into the midfield and then create the transition moment. Because the whole point of that loose of that loose mid block, or the whole point of that that mid block, is to invite a pass into the midfield, create a turnover, and then have space to counterattack into. Yeah. Whereas if you're counter pressing and you're always in the opponent's half there's a lot of defensive numbers there that are a little bit harder to get through yep so that's the point of a mid block but you're right sporting has not been as effective at creating that turnover and that transition that quick direct transition event off of it as much as you would think they would like them to um the sporting sporting is the Sorry, the, the whole I, point of it though is to is to is to get into those duels in the midfield yeah. and win them and do we possess the right guys to consistently win those? Sporting has guys who are good at intercepting the ball. They have players who are good at recovering uh, balls in the midfield, um, which which is great, like to their credit. Uh, but but they don't have they don't have the ball winner, right? They don't have the person to put into a tackle that, that puts in a tackle to create those opportunities, and um, and and that's what they need. And you know I. I think it's just, you know, severely lowers their ceiling uh, moving forward until they have that kind of a player because um, 
because a lot of other teams in MLS have that player, and um, and and it enables them to it enables them to to you know be the aggressor and to um, and to take it to us and other teams. Well, and 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 what ends up happening is that Andreu Fantas comes up and pressing the back of somebody, yeah, and it gets played behind, and yeah, we know what happens after that. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I. But the problem is that player is not coming through the door. No, I know. They have who they have. <laughs> and, and, yep, um, I know. <laughs> there, there's something to be said for the fact, and Doyle's been bringing this up for several weeks, and I don't necessarily totally agree with his analysis, but I think it's not completely off base as far as its validity, which is, um, you know, Sporting has struggled to get a good, consistent center back pairing since Beasler and Ike. Yeah. And th- that is a fair assessment of, of what has happened over the last several years. And I will tell you that while Matt Beasler may not be the most fleet, well, actually he was pretty fast when he was, he in was pretty fast. Um, but those were guys that they, they were aggressive physical defenders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they would get on guys and really pressure them. Mm-hmm. We haven't really had those since then. No. Um, and well, so and, then and, you, you do you combine that with another with a defensive midfielder who is not really a tackle guy. He's a good ground duel winner. He's hard to get the ball off of, but he's not necessarily a ball winner in the way that we're talking about. And you're just left with a situation where if they get punched in the mouth, this might happen yep. more often. Yep. And I, you know, um, I I think that that's that's. When I was watching um, um, during the LAFC game, I was thinking about uh, about this and about how you know we've talked in the past about um, you know the the uh, the team had to part ways with Ilya because but Roger got old and they'd never replaced Ike, and so you just left Ilya sort of all alone to handle those responsibilities. And that's just not his game. And, you know, n- now that he's at LAFC and he's got, you know, people like Kellen Acosta and, um, and, um, um, Tillman and yep and and the center backs you know uh, um, Aaron Long I mean I mean no one would ever think that Peter Vermes would would uh, bring in somebody like Aaron Long because you know he's he's not a passer um, he's he's a sort of negative passer honestly he's not he's not great but well, but but he doesn't have to be hey man so, yeah right so but that that's kind of my point right is that um, is that you don't need to be it's not. It, you can't just Danny always Rosero is is right-sided Aaron Long. That's what he is. He's yeah. he's a really good aerial player who wins a ton of duels yeah. and is not a good passer. He That's needs what... to and he needs to stop passing. That's what we we already made that point. He needs to he needs to keep it simple. That's the that's I mean, the key. I'll, I'll give it to Peter for spending half as much money and getting Aaron Long. But yeah. I mean still like they're they're basically the same player. I think Aaron Long, I think uh, Aaron Long, holy cow. I think, I think Rosero can work. Honestly, I do. I, I think that, um, I think that on the team, he is the, the, the closest player to, you know, that what we're talking about. And I think that if he can, um, you know, if he can limit the bad decisions and uh, improve his passing just a little bit, I think he can, uh, he can definitely be that player. Yeah, I, he can, and you know who else can. You know who else loves to get into a tackle and hasn't been able to do it much because I think I'm sure they're telling him to ease off a little bit is Jake Davis. 
Yeah. The guy loves to get into a tackle. Mm-hmm. He does. I've I've watched I watched him with the twos when he plays in the midfield. He dude does not mind getting physical. Maybe a little bit to his detriment, but he he he's willing to do those kinds of things. And so we have players that are capable of it. They just they just have to start doing it, in my opinion. Um, I'll be interested to see if, if Zussi's coming out and quoting to the Kansas City star that we were soft, maybe that means something. Maybe they're all like, okay, old man, whatever. Maybe you're the reason we were soft. I don't know. All right. One thing to look for this week. Um, let's wrap it up. We're, we're getting a little deep this t- on this recording, but um, we are going to play Portland at home on Sunday. We do have a run of home games coming over, the, like, I think, five out of the next seven are at home, which hopefully is helpful. Uh, so Portland on Sunday and then Dallas on Wednesday. I don't know if we'll record before that game or, or not, but we'll figure that out later. Um, Portland, they've got a bunch of injury problems just like we do. Um, they, you know, Vermees was out in the press talking about how hard they are to, to break down defensively. And historically that's true, but also they've shipped almost as many goals as sporting has. So maybe not so much this year. Um, Anyway, they're they're um, generally going to play in that sort of Christmas tree four two three four four three two one, um, and try to create transition events. So, um, I am hopeful that we will see <laughs> the more mobile fullbacks out there in this one. <laughs> um, we'll have to see. I I, I do, but I I think the sporting will benefit from having a full week, actually more than a week, right? Saturday. So yeah. we went from Saturday to the following Sunday. So eight days between games is probably welcome. And then they have, of course, they've got Dallas midweek and then have to go on the road the following Saturday. So we're getting kind of into that compressed part of the schedule, just the way that it goes. And they're going to have to figure it out. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Portland other than I don't know if we're going to have brisket Bob or not. I, I haven't uh, heard. Uh, we better. <laughs> I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, but we better have uh, brisket Bob out there to do it. Uh, Portland's just always they're always a tough out. It seems like uh, it's a team that that um, that sporting traditionally but, struggles with. And but we've also ahead. trashed them before too. So yeah. I mean, it, it's. It, I feel like it's a thing where we either get we either get waxed or well, it was only one nothing the last time, but we lost them what seven to two at their place last year. Mm, yes, but we've also beat we also beat them four to one at our place last year. So I, I don't know. There, there's. I think that the way that Portland plays makes it for either it it could potentially be a boat race in either direction. Hopefully, it's in our direction. Um, the key with them is getting a goal on them early. It's very much like yeah. Minnesota. Yep. If we're able to score on them early and make them try to score, um, all of a sudden things get a lot better. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And so, I mean, that's, I think that, I think that the interesting things to look for, um, in addition to the, um, the, the, who's starting at fullback, um, it, it is in, um, how we're able to, um, uh, to attempt to break down, um, you know, their, uh, their defense. And that means, uh, are we, are we getting numbers in the box? Are we, are we having the, the, um, 
the center midfielders uh, make box runs or are we just funneling the ball or are we letting them force us to funnel the ball out wide and uh, and crossing and you know that's as 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 we always talk about the more crosses uh, we see in the game the 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 worse uh, it seems to be for uh, Sporting Kansas City and so uh, we we want and we want to get some creativity out of the midfield and I mean, it'd be nice to have Kinda and Tommy starting I don't know um, I don't know I don't know. I mean, I don't know if if uh, Vermes will do that or not, but uh, that would be my hope is that we get the two of them starting. It would be nice, frankly, to have uh, Voltaire um, get a break. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have to play every single game. Um, I know he did last year, like every single minute of every single game, and um, you know that's a uh, that's a recipe for uh, injuries. Um, down the road, just running the legs off of guys. And, and I, we've seen that, and I don't want that to happen because I think he's a valuable player. And so hopefully he gets a break and uh, and we start those guys and, and Radoya and get him uh, another chance to, to get out there and, and uh, you know, get fit with the team. One thing that was nice in the LAFC game is there were multiple circumstances where there were five guys in the box yeah. attacking the goal. And, yep. and um, that was a fairly common circumstance. While Sporting did not successfully do that against St. Louis, it was more because the opportunities weren't there mm -hmm. than it was that they weren't able to do it yeah. um, or weren't weren't trying to do it. Um, so I, I think that we've seen since Kinda, Tommy, and Voltaire, Kinda, Tommy, Radia, or, you know, Kinda Voltaire, Radia, whatever it is, since we've had three of those four on the field, we're seeing a lot more aggressive movement from the from the eights into the box in mm -hmm. those circumstances, and that's how you get the overloads that cause goals. So we'll we'll yes, have to is. see if that continues against Portland. I I'm I'm hopeful that that time off and the recharge and getting kicked in the mouth a little bit against St. Louis gets the guys fired up on Sunday. And it's we've got the day off on Monday, so we can hopefully have a good time and enjoy that match. Yeah, let's go. All right. On that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.